Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. God's grace is enough. I want to begin by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 just so that we get the flow of what's going on. But we're really going to look at verses 7 through 10. Begin with verse 1. It says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That um, experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only in my weakness. If I want to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There has always been, there have always been trouble in the world. Uh, Job writes that man is born of trouble just as sparks fly upward. Trouble defines our lives. We live in a fallen world, a a broken world. And Jesus told his disciples on the night he was betrayed in John 16, 33, I have told you all of this so that in me you may have peace. Here on earth you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In short, what Jesus is saying is, you're going to have troubles. And for the disciples, boy, that is certainly true. Out of all of the disciples, they were either martyred, all of them were martyred, except for one, and he was exiled to live on an island. So what what we need to understand, and, and is no shock to any of us, is that life is full of hardships. It's full of difficulties. It's full of hardship. And it, notice, though, that what the Lord says to Paul is, my grace is all you need. Today, I want to talk about the sufficiency of God's grace. Grace is a wonderful word. Everything that we have 
is by the grace of God. The word grace means favor given to a person who doesn't deserve it. Grace is God's divine mercy given to those who deserve divine wrath. And that is really, if you stop and, and think about it, that is the very essence of our salvation. But grace isn't just a concept. It is actually a power. It's the power that transforms us. It's the power that gives us life in the midst of death. It is, a, it is the power that saves us. Romans 5 tells us that we stand in grace. What does that mean? It means that it's the air we breathe. It's the ground we stand on. Grace makes everything from the, the moment of our salvation to the day that we are glorified. It, it makes it possible. Grace will be with us forever, for eternity. There is enough grace, sufficient grace, surpassing, surpassing, surpass, you know what I mean, rich grace. <laughs> there is enough to go around and it's available because Christ is full of grace. And if we are in Christ, then we have received the fullness of Christ's grace. That's, that's powerful stuff right there. The writer, the writer of Hebrews even tells us, when you pray, you go to the throne of grace, and there you will get all you need. Everything you need will be supplied. That's powerful. Now, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, listen to how Paul describes grace. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So just to kind of break that down, it's, it's not just grace, it's abundant grace with all sufficiency for all things in abundance. This is oversupply. Every single deed that we do, every, every time we step out in faith, God pours his grace into us so that everything that we could possibly desire, every need will be met. This is the reality of where we are to live. And as believers, we, we receive what we don't deserve from God. And it empowers our lives to the point of salvation that through sanctification, through service, through suffering, and clear into glory, we are compounded with God's grace. Just think about this a little bit. We have been given grace to have the ability to repent of our sins. We have been given grace to understand the message of the gospel. We have been given grace to obey the word of God. We have been given grace to overcome temptation and sin. We have been given grace to endure suffering and pain. Th this is just a, a small part of the abundance of grace that has been given to us. 
We need all of that grace because we live in a world full of trouble. As we come to 2 Corinthians 12 here, I want to give you just a little bit of background on it. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians because he had to defend himself. He didn't want to do that. It wasn't what was foremost in his agenda of things, but he had to do it. And he says, I have to defend myself, but if I'm going to defend myself, I'm going to defend my weakness. You might think that because he was such a successful apostle that he wouldn't really be struggling with hardships. But just the opposite is true. He was constantly under attack. Uh, you know, there's this fa- the famous section where he talks about the fact that he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was whipped, he was stoned, he was imprisoned. Those, those are the physical things that had happened to him. But just about everywhere he went, he was also under attack spiritually and, and viciously by people who hated him or who, by people who turned against him. He faced false teachers who were constantly trying to corrupt the church. And Paul was a human just like you and I. He wasn't above all of that. In fact, when he reaches the end of his life, he wrote, in all of Asia Minor, everyone has forsaken me. He, he kind of just felt like he was alone, that there was nobody with him. What was going on in Corinth is that false teachers had come in. Paul had planted the Corinth church, and he had invested his, his ministry there, and he had, he had brought about this church, and he had brought people to the Lord, and then he had moved on. He had been there for over a year and a half. And as he moved on, false teachers came in. And because the people there held Paul in such high esteem, the false teachers knew that if they were going to have, the, have any influence in that church, they had to ruin Paul. And so they, they set out to do that. They said things that he was in ministry for the money, that he was doing it to get sexual favors. They said that he was a liar and a fraud, that he had no authority as an apostle, that he had made up his success stories, that he was corrupt. And not only that, it, it's bad enough that they, they did all of that, but they also said that he was not a good speaker and that he was ugly. I mean, they, they, they just, they went after everything except his mama. You know, it, it just, they, they let the guy have it. And so Paul is defending himself, and, and he's, he's trying to, to not just defend himself, but what he's having to do is he's having to push himself in to the situation so that the people of the church won't turn away from Christ and begin to follow these false teachers. And so through this difficulty, through this hardship, Paul is learning a new perspective on on life and his heart is broken as you can imagine you know his, his integrity is called into question his loyalty is attacked but worse than that his love for the people 
has been denied and, and doubted and, and rejected. You think about it. Um, on top of all of the shipwrecks and, and the beatings and all of the stuff that he has gone through, really the worst pain would be to have people turn against you. You know, I don't think any disease or any, any physical ailment is as bad as having your, your love betrayed. When you put your whole life into something, and, and this is true for us, um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's your family, your children, your church, your job, whatever it is, when you invest yourself in something and what you get in return is resentment, rejection, disloyalty, hatred, that hurts. That's the deepest kind of, of suffering that you can have. And so that's where Paul finds himself, and he needs help. He is, in, he is in pain physically, but he's also in pain emotionally. And so God teaches him a profound lesson here, and that's what we're going to understand so that, because again, all of us live in a world of trouble. And when you go through hardships, these are some lessons that you can bring back to yourself. The first thing that we need to understand is that God uses suffering to humble us. And humbling is a good thing, as we're going to see. Verse 7 says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Why did Paul need to be humbled? Well, four different times that at least is recorded in the Bible, Paul had personal encounters with the risen Christ. We, you know, the, the road to Damascus, and there, there, Paul had four different encounters where Christ came to him personally. Plus, I just read where Paul had, a, had an experience where he went to heaven. Again, he says, I don't know whether I went in my body or, or whether I, I did it some other way, but I know that I was in heaven. So if, if you're a normal person and you've had encounters with the risen Christ and you've been to heaven, that might be reason to be pretty proud to say, hey, I'm special. You know, you could go on the, the preaching circuit and get paid lots of money to come and tell all your experiences and you could write books. And I mean, the, the whole world's open to you. you know, it's like, woohoo, I'm, I'm, something, I'm something fancy here. So he needed to be humbled because of the greatness that had occurred in his life. He could have been proud. So it says, for this reason, because of these great revelations, to keep me from puffing up, to keep me from exalting myself, I was given a thorn in my flesh. So a simple principle, humility must be at the top of our Christian character. It should be one of your primary virtues. When someone thinks about you, they should think you are a loving person and you are a humble person. 
There's no room for pride, no room for boasting, no room for, look at me, look at what a great person. There's no room for that in, in the Christian world. That's useless garbage, and it has no place in the Christian's life. If you notice, like in the Old Testament, in Numbers 12, verse 3, thinking of Moses, Moses, he was one of the greatest leaders, the greatest leader in the Old Testament. It says, now the man Moses was very humble, more than any other man who was on the face of the earth. That's quite a statement. The more humble you are, here's an important understanding. The more humble you are from a Christian standpoint, the more powerful you become. That seems almost counterproductive or or counterintuitive, but that's exactly right. To be poor in spirit, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Philippians 2 here, to be poor in spirit, not thinking more highly than you ought to, to to think of yourself, looking not on your own things, but on the things of others, having the mind of Christ, humility took on himself the form of a man and went all the way to death even death on the cross. Jesus is our picture of humility. When we think of the life of Christ, he is God. And yet he abandoned heaven, if you will. He took on the form of a lowly person. He didn't even come as a highfalutin person. He came as just a lowly nobody. Jesus is the picture of perfect humility. Now, why does God want Paul to be humble? Why does God want you and I to be humble? In order to make us powerful. Verse 7, I was given the thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, I want us to understand what's really going on here. This is important. The word thorn is actually not the best translation, believe it or not. It's actually the word used is the word for spike or for a stake, like a big wooden stake. So don't picture a small little splinter. The idea is a major wound. This is not catching your finger on a thorn on a rose bush. This is having a spike rammed into you. That's, that's the picture, and, and that's why the word thorn really isn't the best translation. And it's not a thorn in the flesh. In the Greek, it's a thorn for the flesh. In other words, it is a thorn to assault our flesh, our worldliness. A stake driven into Paul's life in order to attack his humanness, his worldliness, his sinful nature. That's that's a, a more accurate literal translation. He describes it as a messenger of Satan. So it's not wrong to assume that this is an attack uh, from a demonic perspective. Why is God allowing Satan to abuse Paul? Well, remember Job? 
God allowed Satan to abuse Job. And the same is true here. To keep me from exalting myself. To keep me from becoming proud. This is an important thing that we need to understand. God is more concerned with our character than he is our comfort level. That, that is so important. He wants to develop our spiritual integrity much, much more than he cares whether we are living a comfortable life. Now, as Americans, we are all about the comfortable life. That, that's what drives most of us. You know, we, um, we've already been having conversations at my house about turning on the air conditioning. You know, I, I mean, we're all about comfort. But God isn't so concerned about air conditioning and comfort and cushy chairs and full refrigerators and full stomachs. He's much, much, much more concerned with our spiritual development because that's going to last forever. This is a severe attack that God has allowed to humble a servant. Trail, our, our, the trials can have a lot of purposes in our, our lives. Let me just list. Trials can test us in order to develop our strength, to develop our faith. Trials can be used to wean us off of the worldly things of life. Trials can be used to help us long more for heaven. Trials can be used to reveal what we really love the most. Trials can be used to, to produce endurance in us and patience in us. But God also uses trials to humble us. James 4 says he gives grace to the humble, sufficient grace to bear the humbling. That's just another way of saying my grace is enough. Spurgeon used to say there are only two kinds of men God uses, the humble and the humbled. And, and that's, that's the reality. You know, if you think about it, when Moses came and led the children of Israel, he had spent 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep. You know why he spent 40 years tending sheep? To become humble. You know, he grew up in the, in the home of Pharaoh, and he was full of himself. And God had to take him out in the wilderness for 40 years to break him, to break his spirit so that he would become powerful in God's service. Now, the second thing that God uses um, humbling for, God uses suffering to draw us to himself. Notice verse 8, it says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Well, what happened was when Paul was suffering, he did the right thing. He went to God and said, God, please take this away. Please, I, you know, this, this, is, this is tearing me up. Please remove this. And that's what we should do. At the time of greatest need, deepest pain, severest trial, go to the Lord. And he goes to Jesus three times. He's persistent. And notice he, he does 
can't rebuke Satan. You know, there's none of this, in Jesus' name, I rebuke Satan. You know, he, he doesn't get into all of that, that suck and blow preaching and, and all of that kind of stuff. He, he, he goes to the Lord because that's where the source of health is is that's where that's where his healing is going to come from remember every good and perfect gift comes from the lord so god uses suffering to humble us but god also uses suffering to drive us to our knees i heard charles stanley say that once that everything that drives us to god is really a blessing so when we go through hardship, if it causes us to draw closer to God, that's not a bad thing. Anything that makes us closer to God is something to, to celebrate. That leads us to the third lesson. God uses suffering to display his grace to us. Verse 9, he says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Every time he asked, he got the same answer. My grace is all you need. Understand, and, and this is important because this, is, this used to be the way I thought that God was just putting him off. That God, when he would say, God, please remove this from me. And God was like, not now, no, you know, that, that's not what's going on. What God is telling him is this is the answer to your prayer. You are coming to me saying, please make this pain stop. And God's saying, my grace is what you need here, not for the pain to stop. And this is so important. He didn't answer him by removing the pain, not by removing the trouble, but by pointing Paul to the source of grace. Why would God want to give us grace instead of taking away the pain? In order so that we learn to persevere in hardships. So that on the other end of it, you not only come out humble, but you come out more powerful. Remember, I started the message by saying, we live in a broken world. We live in a world full of trouble. It's not realistic for God to run ahead of us sweeping to make sure all of our messes are cleaned up so that we never have any trouble. We live in a broken world. We live in broken bodies. As a result, rather than making everything always fit nice and neat and never have a problem, he says, my grace is what you're going to need to rely on. My grace is what's going to take you through the difficult times. My grace is going to give you the power to hang in there, to push through, to survive, to come out victorious on the other end. When you go through hardships and you look to God and his grace carries you through, you're going to become humbled. And then at the end, when you have nothing left, when, when you have nothing left to turn to, that's the final lesson. God uses suffering to perfect his power in each of us. Again, 
Paul, just like Moses, was powerful because he was humble. Power is perfected in our weakness. Now, the truth is, in this day and age, there are very, very few people who are weak enough, spiritually speaking, to become powerful. I, you know, I, I, I can't think of anybody right now that I can point to and say, here is a perfect example of someone through their weakness, they are a powerful person. Um, the, the only one that came to mind was Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and, and that's been, uh, you know, a, a while and well, what happened to him? Um, that's the reality is that when we submit and when we allow God to work in our life and through our life, we become powerful, but not in the way the world understands power. There are a lot of people that are way too powerful to ever become spiritually powerful. Embrace the suffering when it comes to your life. Allow it to humble you and allow it to drive you to the Lord. You know, just think of, of just the, the force necessary that you're hanging on to God for all he's worth. And in the midst of your own weakness, God will make you powerful. I don't know what that looks like. God will, God will make that happen in his way. But in the verse, middle of verse 9, Paul says, So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's the point of it all. You know, the, the lesson for us to learn is that through suffering, the Lord humbles us. He drives us to think of a whip, you know, that, that he drives us to himself. Then he pours out his grace in our life. And in our weakness, we become strong. Think of, here's some examples. Samson. Samson was full of pride. God allowed him to become humbled when he had his hair cut. He was captured. They gouged his eyes out. They chained him up. But then because of his humility, God gave him strength and he crushed the enemies of God. Joseph was full of pride. He had his coat of many colors. He was full of dreams and he was full of himself. But God allowed him to be humbled. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was betrayed. He was, he was, sold, he was thrown in prison. He languished in prison for a number of years. And after he was humbled, he became powerful. And God used him. And he rose to the, the very throne of Egypt. Job was a, a man of wealth. He was probably the wealthiest man that, that had ever lived. And God allowed him to be humbled by Satan. He lost everything. He lost his, his family. He lost his, his possessions. He was broken. He was humiliated. He was humbled. But then because he, he didn't betray God, he didn't give up on God, God 
allowed him to experience the gloriousness of, of God. If he asks for prominence, God's going to give you humiliation. If you ask for power, God's going to give you weakness. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What God is concerned about, be it me, be it you, be it the Apostle Paul, is our humility, our spiritual integrity. That's what God is concerned about in each and every one of us. It's not our influence as humans. It's our influence and it's our character as followers of Jesus Christ. He wants all of us to honor Christ. And, and, and he, Jesus, is the model for humility. And, and so we should, we should be looking like Christ. No one ever humbled themselves like Jesus did. No one was ever more attacked or assaulted than Jesus was. In his weakest moment on the cross, he was humiliated. He was stripped bare, beaten, nailed to a cross, and allowed to die there. And you think that's the end. That was the weakness. But then he was powerful because he came out of the grave in absolute triumph. Amen. That's the picture of humility turning to weakness. Now, it is through that same death that our pride has to die and that we can rise to, to power, not in ourselves, but in our weakness. Let God determine what he's going to do with that power. But every one of us who wants to be who God wants us to be will become humble through the trials of life. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, easier said than done. Father, I know in my own flesh, I, I struggle to hang on to every shred of, of respect and dignity that I can have, every, every ounce of, of self um, that, that I can put out there. Jesus, help each of us to embrace the trials of life so that you can humble us in the way that you want to so that we can produce your strength because of your grace. You are more than enough. Everything we need is found in you and you alone. Please, Father, help us to live the life that you have called us to live. Not an easy life, uh, not a life of, of comfort, but a life of trouble, a life of challenge, a life of brokenness. And Lord, I know that that may cause some people to turn away. 
but you know who you have called. And I just pray, Father, that each of us will embrace you and embrace what you have called us to be. Thank you, Father. All glory is yours and yours alone. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.